Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 5th of July 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself, Rob, Christine, Angela, Liz, Ian, Pete, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition we have Local News of the Black Country, an update from Beacon, information about video magnifiers, the quiz with Mina, for a special edition of this week's Sport News, a Did You Know section of Flashback Roger. The weather for the week ahead. And with another episode of our feature, the 10 Today Gentle Exercise Sessions. Local news to start though, with Ian, Liz, Angela. But first, we have Christine. Wolverhampton Council is to invest £5 million of government money to continue helping households in the city through the cost of living crisis. With the latest inflation figures and interest rates announced last week, the Council has revealed how it will build on the work done so far to help families cope with the cost of food, energy, housing and household essentials. Finding ways to help people improve their financial resilience now and for the future will be the focus, with the aim to ensure people are more financially independent and able to cope no matter what life throws at them. The £5.2 million is the final scheduled round of funding from the Household Support Fund, which central government has allocated to local authorities to help with the cost of living crisis over the coming year until March 2024. The council has allocated more than £1 million on top to help its citizens through these challenging times and will work with partners in the voluntary sector to ensure the needs of all communities are considered and everyone has a voice. Measures over the next financial year will involve a wide variety of projects and support addressing food, energy, housing and wider day-to-day household essentials. On the food front, support will include all kinds of creative initiatives, including further help for the network of community shops in the city, offering healthy food at great prices, the Community Chefs Programme helping share skills with families to prepare and cook meals in bulk, and continuing access to food for children during school holidays at Yo Wolves Activities. There will also be a strong focus on how people can take control of their own financial futures by helping them develop the skills to do so. 
For example, by assisting residents to improve their homes so they are more energy efficient, enabling them to live healthier, happier lives. When people are confronted with unforeseeable life events like illness or bereavement, it can have a huge impact on financial well-being from which families never recover. The council is working with GPs, Macmillan, Compton Care and the Royal Wolverhampton Hospital Trust to help during times of crisis so it doesn't affect financial futures forever. Plans to turn Dudley's former museum and art gallery building into a fun city leisure complex have been given the go-ahead despite opposition from a councillor. The plan to turn the building into a centre for indoor cricket, mini-golf, laser tagging and escapology forms the cornerstone of a £4 million leisure quarter for the town, also including a hotel and restaurant. It has been given the go-ahead by Dudley Council's planning department, despite an objection from Councillor Cathy Baton, who feared it could lead to an increase in crime, noise and antisocial behaviour. The Grade 2 listed red brick building on the corner of Priory Street and St James's Road has been empty since it was closed by the council in 2016. The plans by Dudley-based Hush Property Development include a food court and bar on the ground floor and a soft play area for children. Laser tagging and indoor cricket will be on the first floor with a spectator area while the basement will be turned into an escape room adventure game. Councillor Baton said the building adjoined the neighbouring Herald Court sheltered housing scheme populated mainly by elderly people with a variety of health conditions. She said residents would suffer from increased noise both during the renovation work and also from visitors late into the evening. But planning officer James Mason said the robust construction of both the museum and Herald Court meant it was unlikely noise would be transferred between the two buildings. Hush Property Development is also carrying out a £900,000 revamp of the vacant Glasshouse restaurant opposite the museum in Stone Square. Additionally, the developer plans to turn the neighbouring office block previously used by Citizens Advice and Dudley Racial Equality Council, into a boutique hotel. The whole scheme is set to create 40 jobs. The scheme for the museum will see 20th century alterations, including partition walls and a false ceiling, to expose original features. Hush director Hayley Andrews said the development would bring a new lease of life to three historic buildings. Nearly £1 million will be spent over the next three years revamping play areas across five Dudley parks. Dudley Council's Cabinet is set to rubber stamp plans to spend an additional £300,000 a year up to 2026 on improving parks and green spaces when it meets next week. Plans have allocated £200,000 of the £300,000 spent on improvements to play areas at Tenscore and Sedgley, Woodside Park, Wallheath Park, King George VI Park in Kingswinford and Lawyers Field in Briley Hill. The authority is improving and updating the toddler play provision and improving the inclusive play elements within these play areas. A new play facility will also be installed on Lawyers Field as part of the initial phase of improvements. 
Around £50,000 will be spent at Buffery Park and Priory Park to improve benches, signs and other infrastructure in a bid to ensure the two sites retain the prestigious green flag status. A sum of £25,000 will be spent on developing a volunteer training programme to assist friends groups in maintaining and improving parks. The final £25,000 for 2023-24 will be spent on developing outline design and business cases for new and improved visitors' facilities at Wren's Nest and Liso's Park in Hales Owen. The £300,000 comes on top of an already agreed spend of more than £600,000 for 2023-24 on parks and open spaces. A hostel in Wolverhampton which houses homeless women and children has celebrated the grand reopening of its bedsit accommodation following a major revamp. Jericho House has been running its supported living project for 30 years, which sees service users given some independence while being supported by on-site staff who teach a range of important life skills. To celebrate the anniversary, the newly renamed Jericho Supported Living Site has been given a major revamp across the course of 18 months. The interior of the accommodation, which comprises of 11 bedsits, was given a makeover with the help of staff and volunteers from the charity in the form of a new kitchen, new furniture and modernised bathrooms. Meanwhile, the exterior of the site was refurbished by Wolverhampton Council, which helped to install a new roof, chimneys, windows and doors. Vicky Curtin, manager of Jericho House, said the grand reopening was a success. The 47-year-old said, Everything was so positive, it was fabulous. We had lots of comments from people saying they would want to live there. It's about putting a safe roof over their heads with support and giving them the next step of independence before moving back into the community. For a lady that has had domestic violence, self-esteem and confidence is a big thing. So just doing it in smaller steps before feeling they're being dumped back into the community is a big thing. It's from age 16 upwards, so some of the young ones don't know how to cook, so it's about life skills and building upon how to run a home. Waiting for council houses can take such a long time, so temporary accommodation is vital in the city. In addition to its supported living project, the charity provides emergency accommodation for its service users, which sees 24-hour support given from staff on site. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us Beacon update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon back with your weekly update of everything that's been happening at the charity. There's this week. If you celebrated Eid al Adha, then we'd like to say Eid Mubarak. We hope you had a great time. Now, also, happy Sunglasses Day. Yeah, it's recently been National Sunglasses Day. And here at Beacon, we know why it's so important to pull on some shades all year round. So here's some free reasons why we think it's important to wear sunglasses. 1. UV protection. They reduce the risk of damage to your eyes and potential loss of vision. 2. Reducing glare. They make it easier for you to see. And 3. Protection from elements. They shield your eyes from dirt, sand, water and even wind. Don't forget to look for the CE mark on the frames that indicate they meet European standards for UV protection. That's really important when you're shopping for sunglasses. We've even done a blog on the importance of them, which you can read on our website, 
www.beaconvision.org. Now, last this week, we are finishing with a big thank you. This is one of my favourite things to finish on. And it's to the team at the West Brom Building Society who have generously donated £500 to fund materials for our craft activities with members. We so appreciate their support. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon with another Beacon update. Here's that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first take Angela. Grants will soon be available again to help eligible people with their everyday living costs as part of an £800,000 pot of funding for Dudley Borough. The council was awarded a total of £5.2 million from round four of the government's household support fund earlier this year, which runs until the end of March 2024. The funding has been split into two pots, with £300,000 available in phase one which will reopen this week after being temporarily suspended due to demand, and a further £500,000 available in Phase 2, which will launch in October. As in previous rounds, a majority of the money is being distributed through key council services and organisations within the voluntary sector to get help to those who are most vulnerable and that they are aware of. But the council has set aside a proportion of the money to help eligible people who contact the council directly in need of help. Grants of £150 plus an additional £25 for people with disabilities are available in this phase with further information about the second one available in September. Councillor Steve Clark, Cabinet Member for Finance, Legal and Human Resources, said, I'm pleased we're now able to reopen the application process, but we expect funds to be exhausted quickly. All applications will be assessed and determined based on current circumstances. In round three of the Household Support Fund, which covered October 22 to March 23, the Council was awarded £2.6 million and set aside £400,000 to provide grants to people who contacted them in need. More than 2,500 grants were issued. The Government has also committed to set aside funding for technology projects that will improve UK transport accessibility including several projects to make travel easier for visually impaired and disabled people. Soundings contributor Nikki can tell us more. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Nikki with an article written by Heather. The UK government is investing almost £2 million in new transport innovations, including several projects designed to make travel easier for disabled and visually impaired people. In June 2023, ministers pledged £1.96 million for 67 technology projects that aim to improve transport accessibility, deliver more environmentally friendly transport systems and help boost the UK economy. The funding comes as part of the government's Transport Research and Innovation Grant Programme, known as TRIG, and with 80% of new projects based outside London, the funding is expected to deliver benefits across the UK. The TRIG programme aims to encourage engineers, academics and innovators to develop blue-sky research into real-world solutions that address transport problems. The funding can help researchers take the first steps in creating a new company developing new ideas and bringing them to the market, while also creating new jobs UK-wide. 
Projects receiving funding this year cover all aspects of transport. They range from an app to help visually impaired people to navigate safe walking routes around rail stations through to the use of freight robots at ports. Other examples that show the breadth of the project list include kite-powered tugboats, new permeable paving materials that improve storm drainage to avoid flooding, and use of drones to deliver small packages to remote rural areas. Several of the projects are aimed at helping individual travellers and making transport accessible for everyone. One example is a new app and web portal for booking accessible air travel. The aim is to simplify the booking process and deliver a seamless journey for anyone who has accessibility requirements, for example due to a disability or visual impairment. Another company is developing a system to improve maintenance and repair of rail station lifts that are essential for disabled passengers. Data collection and monitoring will help ensure better maintenance and swift repairs, with the aim of providing reliable and stress-free travel for disabled passengers who need to use the lifts. Also on the rail network, another project aims to build a system that will provide passengers with live, accurate information on how crowded trains are, Armed with precise information on overcrowding, visually impaired or disabled passengers will be able to check whether empty seats are available for their journey, allowing them to consider changing to a less crowded service. Using British Sign Language to provide public transport information is the aim of another project. This project plans to use Luna, a personal digital sign language assistant, to offer passengers journey information and on-board announcements through their smartphones or laptops. And last... But not least is a project by Make Sense, which will provide a railway station navigation app for visually impaired travellers. The app will use augmented reality technology and smartphone sensors to help users avoid obstacles in their path. TNF Soundings. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, here are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. How many tennis balls are used in the Wimbledon tournament? Question 2. In what year were the colour of the tennis balls changed? Question 3. How many portions of strawberries are served at Wimbledon? Question 4. In what year did Wimbledon start? Question 5. How many ball boys and girls are there for the fortnight? And finally, question 6. What height was the shortest player to ever play at Wimbledon? I will be back later in the show, but for now, best of luck. Just those questions, Mina. I'll get my mind working on those. Up now, however, it's another block of local news. A charity duck race is set to make a splash at the waterfront. 
Mary Stevens Hospice supporters are invited to take part in a quacking good summer fundraising event. The Black Country Duck Race and Family Festival will take place at the waterfront to Mary Hill on Saturday, July the 9th. The race will start at 3pm and the owner of the first duck to cross the finish line will win a £100 prize and be crowned winner of the Mick Bailey Duck Trophy 2023. There will also be family activities and entertainment taking place from noon. Red Boy Night will provide live entertainment all day and there will be various craft and small business stores. There will also be traditional games and food stores serving all day. James Totney, Community and Events Fundraiser at the Hospice, said, We are very excited to make a splash this year at a new venue. The event was previously being held on the canal at the Delft, Briley Hill, with past events attracting more than 1,000 people. James added, We are always delighted to see so many people join in with the duck race and support the hospice at the same time. Each year it is just wonderful to see the smiles on everyone's faces as the ducks enter the water. And we can't thank our community enough for turning out in force each year to help us raise funds so we can continue to provide our vital services now and in the future. Without them and the continued support of local businesses, we would be unable to reach the £3.5 million we need to raise each year. There are several ways to enter a duck into the race. People can buy a £3 duck online via the hospice website buy them at the event on the day, or get a ticket from Bailey's Fishing Tackle, Red Boy Night, Prosperity Wealth, Waldron Solicitors, Ten Cups Coffee Shop, Coventry Building Society, Van Lewin or Metro Bank. Also on the bill this month is the free Sight Village event that offers individuals experiencing sight loss the chance to find out more about products and services available to assist with everyday living. Here's Soundings contributor Vivian to tell us more. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. This is Vivian with an article written by Heather. If you're living with sight loss, sight village events give you the chance to meet people and organisations who offer services or products designed to assist with everyday life. There are three free events scheduled for the rest of 2023 in Birmingham, Exeter and London. Dates and venues for each event are included at the end of this article, along with a phone number so you can register for your free place to attend. The Sight Village events have been described as the UK's leading exhibition for blind and partially sighted people or anyone experiencing sight problems. Each year, thousands of people attend Sight Village events to find out firsthand about the latest technology, products and support services for visually impaired people. Exhibitors include professionals and charities who support and advise visually impaired people, as well as businesses showcasing products for sale. Exhibitors can vary from one event to another, but typically include advice and information on a wide range of topics, including audio equipment and services, braille equipment and services, CCTV and magnification, computers, screen enlargers and screen readers, 
daily living equipment, education and training, information and support services, leisure services, low vision aids, mobility aids. In addition, the central and southeast site villages in Birmingham and London respectively will include free workshops and seminars with details of topics and timings published closer to the event dates. Events planned for the rest of 2023 are as follows. Site Village Central is on Monday the 17th and Tuesday the 18th of July in Birmingham. The events will be held at the East Side Rooms, number 2, Woodcock Street, Birmingham, B7, 4BL. On Monday, the village will be open from 10am until 4pm and on Tuesday from 9.30am until 3pm. Site Village South West is on Tuesday the 26th of September in Exeter. This is a one-day event to be held at the Sandy Park Stadium, Exeter, EX27NN, from 10am to 4pm. Site Village South East is on Tuesday the 7th of November in London. This one-day event will be held at Kensington Town Hall, Haunton Street, London W87NX, from 10am to 5pm. All events are free to attend. Pre-booking is recommended to speed up your arrival process and so the organisers can avoid exceeding the venue capacity. You can pre-register for each event separately by calling 0121 Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we hear from Pete. Has for us a piece all about video magnifiers and how they may be a benefit to you. If you're struggling with reading and need a magnifier, have you ever considered a video magnifier, or sometimes known as a digital magnifier. Well, we can have a range of video magnifiers that you can come in and try. Now, a video magnifier, you can increase or decrease the magnification so you can turn it up a bit, or you can turn it up quite a lot to help you read. You can change contrast settings on a video magnifier, so you can look at something in true colour, or you could change the contrast to black on white or white on black or yellow on black or black on yellow it's whatever works best for you so there's a range of combinations there that you can try to find the right one you can also freeze images on a video magnifier so let's say there's um, something in your fridge a piece of some food you could take a little picture because the angle's a bit difficult to read of it and then bring the magnifier away and then zoom it up. So if it's something like the sell-by dates or ingredients on food, you can read it comfortably there. So video magnifiers range from small handheld magnifiers you can sit comfortably in an armchair to read with up to medium-sized ones, which is about the size of laptops. And then there's desktop magnifiers with big, large 24-inch screens, which really make magnification strong. So, if you would like to try a video magnifier to see if that would help you, you're very welcome to. Just call Beacon's Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment. And remember, bring something you struggle to read with you. So, if you'd like to try a video magnifier, give us a call on 01902 880 111 and ask for a Sight Loss Advisor. 
01902 880 Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. A 400-year-old prayer book that once belonged to a priest who helped save the life of King Charles II has gone on public display after being bought for the nation by the National Trust. Father John Huddleston's personal missile can now be viewed at Mosley Old Hall in Featherston near Wolverhampton, the house where he was chaplain when Charles sought refuge after escaping Cromwell's troops following the Battle of Worcester in 1651. The book, bearing Father Huddleston's signature, was purchased by the conservation charity at auction thanks to a generous donation from a volunteer and support from the Friends of the National Libraries. The successful bid means this important piece of history has been saved for the nation and has returned to Mosley permanently, some 363 years since it was first there. Father Huddleston was a Benedictine priest who lived at Mosley Old Hall dressed as a servant with the Catholic Whitgreave family, who had stayed loyal to the Royalist cause following the execution of Charles I. Following defeat to the Roundheads at Worcester, Charles fled to Boscobel House in Shropshire, where he hid in an oak tree before arriving at Mosley Old Hall the following night. Flanked by a small group of supporters, he entered via the studded oak back door, still in place today, and was given shelter. Father Huddleston helped Charles to seek refuge in his first floor room, which had a view of the approach road as well as an escape route via a back staircase. A priest hole, accessible by a trap door beneath the floor of a cupboard, provided a hiding space for Charles when armed soldiers turned up at the house. The king's bed, upon which Charles managed to get some sleep fully clothed, also remains in the hall today. The missile joins a collection that includes portraits of Thomas Whitgreave, the owner of the hall at the time, and of Father Huddleston, as well as a letter King Charles II sent to a local young woman, Jane Lane, thanking her for helping him escape to France. Sarah Kay, National Trust Cultural Heritage Curator, said, We're delighted to have secured this important book, which is central to the story of Mosley. If we hadn't acquired it, it is likely to have gone into private hands and not been accessible by the public. Displaying and interpreting the missile will provide a compelling focus and renewed impetus for telling the story of Charles II's remarkable escape. Tim Pye, National Curator, said the Huddleston Missile is a wonderful acquisition for Mosley Old Hall. Not only is the 1623 edition of the Missile Romanum a rare book, just one other complete copies recorded in UK libraries, the way in which Huddleston has inscribed and annotated his missile highlights just how precious and personal this book would have been to him. This week, we'll also see a formal ceremony in Edinburgh, where His Royal Highness King Charles III will receive the ancient crown jewels of Scotland that were also saved from Cromwell's charge. Here's Soundings contributor Alistair recounting the colourful history of the honours of Scotland. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. This is Alastair Hutton with an article about the honours of Scotland. The coronation of King Charles III was a magnificent display of just how much better the British are at ceremonial than anywhere else on earth. 
The symbols of kingship were on full display, but for lovers of brilliant ceremonial, happily, that was not all. There are more to come. The late Queen Elizabeth established a tradition in 1953 of receiving the honours of Scotland following her coronation in June 1953, and the King will continue that tradition in July when he'll receive the honours of Scotland. The honours of Scotland are the ancient crown jewels of Scotland, which are older than the symbols used in Westminster Abbey. Those had to be recreated after Oliver Cromwell had the originals broken up and sold after he'd executed King Charles I. The Scots had used their regalia for a hasty coronation of King Charles II in 1651, and then the ancient crown, scepter and sword of state were spirited away, first to Donotta Castle on the northeast coast of Scotland, and then, as Cromwell's troops marched north to seize them, they were carefully buried beneath the floor of nearby Kenef Church. In spite of threats and torture, the hiding place was never revealed until after Cromwell's death and the restoration of King Charles II. Then they were used regularly in the sittings of the Scottish Parliament until 1707, when the parliaments of both Scotland and England were dissolved and a single parliament for the United Kingdom was created. Because of the virulent opposition of the Jacobites to the Union, it was decided to secrete the honours again, this time in a strong oak chest in the foul-smelling windowless crown room of Edinburgh Castle. Fake news began to circulate, fanned by the Jacobites, that the honours had been moved to England. But no one could or would say where they were, and for the next hundred years or so, they were quietly forgotten, until the great border writer Walter Scott began to petition the Prince Regent to have the chest opened to settle the matter. His persistence paid off. On the 4th of February 1818, a group of nine eminent men, including senior law officers, the Lord Provost of Edinburgh, and Walter Scott, gathered at the Crown Room only to discover that the keys to the padlocks had been lost. The gentlemen watched anxiously as a hurriedly summoned blacksmith named Niche laboured to force open the chest. Not all of them were confident that they would find what they were looking for, when the lid was finally raised, there, wrapped in linen, with the honours of Scotland and more besides, along with the crown of Robert the Bruce, the sceptre and the sword of state, plus the Lord High Treasurer of Scotland's mace of office, the badge and collar of the Order of the Garter, the coronation ring of King Charles I, and a badge of St Andrew, containing a miniature of Anne of Denmark, Queen of King James VI. The event caught the imagination of the people of Edinburgh. Crowds had been gathering on the hill leading up to the castle for news. Walter Scott had been proved right in his judgment that the ancient Scottish regalia had been secure in the castle for all those years and that the time was right for them to be safely revealed. The honours, which were in remarkably good condition, were put on display in the castle in 1819 and to add to the drama of it all, the guards were kitted out in the dress of the bodyguards of the ancient kings of Scotland. Scott's part in the return of the honours of Scotland to public view made him an even more popular figure in the country. He was offered a baronetcy towards the end of 1818, which he accepted with great pride. He was now Sir Walter Scott. Then, in June 1953, three weeks after her coronation, they were ceremonially received by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth in the High Kirk of St Giles in Edinburgh. Happily, King Charles has decided to continue the tradition his mother began in 1953 and will receive the honours of Scotland on the morning of Wednesday the 5th of July 
at a national service of dedication to thanksgiving for the King and the people of Scotland at St Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh as a continuing part of his coronation ceremonies. It will be another chance for the world to see the distinct history and pageantry of old Scotland on display once again. TNF Soundings Up now, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Hello again everyone, are you all okay? Well I do hope so. With summer here to stay, be it fair or stormy, it's Wimbledon time again, and it's sun hats and strawberries around the tournament. So without further ado, did you know that? Wimbledon is one of the world's most celebrated tennis events, as well as an annual celebration of sport that marks a particular moment in British summertime, Pim's Strawberries and Sunburn. It's a part of our national consciousness. 54,250 tennis balls are used during the championship period. At the start of each day, 48 tins of tennis balls are taken onto centre court and number one courts, and 24 on all outside courts. Tennis balls weren't always yellow, though. The original white balls were replaced in 1986, so they could be more easily seen on TV. The tournament commands a global news access audience estimated at more than 1 billion people in 200 territories. Wimbledon is the largest single annual sporting catering operation in Europe, serving 234,000 meals, 330,000 cups of tea, 140,000 portions of English strawberries, 10,000 litres of dairy ice cream, and 29,000 of bottles of champagne, amongst other things. Wimbledon began in 1877 at the All England Club in the London suburb of Wimbledon as Gentlemen's Single Championship making it the oldest tennis tournament in the world. Only 22 players participated, and Wimbledon rules state that all players must be dressed almost entirely in white. Umpires can ask a player to change if they don't meet the rules. Around 6,000 staff members make the championships run smoothly. This includes 250 ball boys and girls, 22 physio and massage therapists, a very symmetrical 360 umpires and line judges, and their management, of course, and 22 podiatrists. The shortest person to play Wimbledon was Cynthia Jem Ho-Hing. At 4 foot 9 inches, Ho-Hing was born in Hong Kong in 1920, and she died nearly 100 years later in 2015. In 1949, she beat the 6 foot tall, top 3 ranked US player and fashion model Gussie Moran. Well, there you have it. And I must admit to liking tennis. I used to play a lot in the late 1980s, you know, and I found my old tennis kit a while back, but the shirt and shorts wouldn't fit. They must have shrunk a lot over the years in that sports bag. Could still get into the socks, though, so that's a bonus, in it? In road up, look, I'm off. I want to make a few custard creams and a cup of tea by way of consolation. I might even dust off my old racket. Mmm. On second thoughts, though, I think I'll leave it be. Till next week, then. Take care and keep well. Bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Up now, we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, as always, by Mina.
the weather for this week ahead is forecast to be rather unsettled, with some sunny spells but plenty of showers too. Temperatures are forecast to remain mild at around 20 degrees. With continued cloud and showers expected, UV levels are set to remain at medium. The sunrise and sunset times are 4.55am for the sunrise and 9.30pm for the sunset. Friday 7th of July is likely to be the best day of the week ahead with plenty of sunshine and clear blue skies. You may even think it's summer. (laughs) With a moderate breeze, temperatures are expected to be comfortable at 20 degrees and may even reach a high of around 22 degrees in places. The spell of rain looks set to remain with us through the weekend though. With both Saturday and Sunday offering a mix of sun and showers with the chance of some thundery ones too. With a gentle breeze and some sunny spells about, temperatures over the weekend will remain around 22 degrees. On to next week and unsettled weather will continue to dominate with plenty of sharp showers. It is forecast for rain to remain in the region from Monday 10th of July and continue right through to Thursday 13th of July. With a moderate breeze expected, temperatures should continue to hover around 21 degrees. The showers are forecast to be light but persistent all week but should ease off at times with a chance of some sunny intervals breaking through. All in all, it looks like our brollies may have to stay with us a little longer. So that's your forecast for this week. And as always, enjoy the weather. Just for that weather update, Mina. Up now, with a special edition of this week's sports feature from Alastair. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Alastair Hutton with an article written by Heather. Visually impaired and disabled sports people from across the United Kingdom have recorded some remarkable successes in recent weeks. From tennis to bowls to golf and skiing, there's no limit to the sports you can take up regardless of any visual impairment or disability. And if today's stories don't inspire you to get moving, you'll be able to follow some world-class disability sport in the UK this summer Manchester is hosting the Paris Swimming World Championships from the 31st of July to the 6th of August, and then Birmingham Edgbaston and the surrounding area will be hosting the World Blind Games from the 18th to the 27th of August. In tennis news, the Great Britain wheelchair men's and junior teams both won world titles in Portugal in May, winning their respective competitions in the BNP Paribas World Team Cup. Great Britain men's and junior wheelchair tennis teams were both crowned world champions in Portugal in May. In the men's final, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid secured a 2-0 victory over defending champions from the Netherlands, while Reuben Harris and Joshua Johns recorded a 2-1 victory over the USA in the junior final. Alfie Hewitt is the current world number one wheelchair player, but for him, tennis is about more than his wins on the court. He's relishing his status as the best wheelchair tennis player in the world and wants to use his success to inspire more disabled people to take up the sport. 
He will be targeting a first Wimbledon singles title this summer, but he's also taking time out of his schedule to promote the Play Your Way to Wimbledon campaign, supported by Vodafone. The campaign offers grassroots players the chance to play at the All England Club, and this year includes opportunities for tennis players who are visually impaired, wheelchair users, or who have learning disabilities. Meanwhile, on the ski slopes, NHS worker Mark Abel has just won a silver medal in the slalom event at an international competition for wounded or injured former or serving members of the armed forces. These days, Mark works as an administrator at the Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust, but as an ex-soldier, he travelled to Colorado in the USA as part of the Armed Forces Paris Snowport team. He first learned to ski as a teenager in the army, but had to go back to basics once more when he lost his sight in 2011. Mark now skis with the help and support of a sighted guide. Turning to golf. Two British visually impaired players claimed world titles in Cape Town, South Africa at the recent International Blind Golf Association World Championships. The South African Blind Golf Open competition was played first, attracting 39 of the world's best blind golfers. In the B3 category for players with no more than 10% vision, England's John Eakin from the Royal Ashdown Forest Golf Club in East Sussex took second place. In the B2 category, for players with no more than 5% vision, Andy Guilford from Ham Manor Golf Club in West Sussex was the runner-up. Another English player, Steve Beavers from Wallasey Golf Club, took third place. The World Championships followed two days later on the same course, and perhaps it was a case of practice makes perfect, because both John Eakin and Andy Guilford went one better in this competition and won world titles. While John again finished in second place in the men's B3 category, in the overall net competition, which runs across all site categories, John was crowned world champion. And in the B2 competition, Andy pulled out all the stops to win the world title. His performance also won in third place in the overall net competition. Both Andy and John hope that their successes will encourage other visually impaired people to take up golf. Andy has said that as a child growing up with sight loss, he struggled to come to terms with his condition, but described it as a dream come true to become world champion. The achievement was even more special because Andy's sighted guide during the contest was his wife Mel. Andy's involved with the charity England and Wales Blind Golf, which helps visually impaired players to take up the sport. Meanwhile, if you're in Scotland, an equivalent charity, Scottish Disability Golf and Curling, has just celebrated organising its 900th round of golf, opening up sport to thousands of visually impaired or disabled players. Founder of the Scottish charity is blind golfer Jim Gales from Fife, who's won three British Open Championships, three British Masters, and multiple overseas Open tournaments. Jim's also captained Team Scotland and Team Europe 13 times, winning nine team competitions. Jim was interested in providing sporting opportunities for people with all types of disability, and in 2004, the Scottish Disability Golf Partnership was created. It grew as several smaller groups and charities merged, and in 2018 extended its remit to include curling. And last but not least is news of the 11th visually impaired open singles bowls tournament held in Western Supermare recently. 
Some 33 bowlers from all over England, Wales and Northern Ireland took part across categories for B1, totally blind, and partially sighted categories B2, B3 and B4. The open section winner was David Mears from Metro, the runner-up was Toby Warren from Swansea, with Alan Lyne from Lowestoft in third spot. The B1 section winner was Keith Brenton from Gateshead, with Richard Carey from Swindon in second place, and George Phillips from Metro in third. The Lions' salver for the best lady bowler was awarded to Alison Yearling from Plymouth. TNF Soundings Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. How many tennis balls are used in the Wimbledon tournament? And the answer here is 54,250. Question two. In what year were the colour of the tennis balls changed? And the answer here is 1986. Question three. How many portions of strawberries are served at Wimbledon? And the answer here is 140,000. Question four. In what year did Wimbledon start? And the answer here is 1877. Question five. How many ball boys and girls are there for the fortnight? And the answer here is 250. And finally, question six. What height was the shortest player to ever play at Wimbledon? And the answer here is four foot nine inches. Did you get them all right? I'm sure you did. But if not, not to worry as I will be back next week to test you all once again. Bye for now. Are you ready to get moving? Well, let's hope so, because up now, we have the 10 Today Workout. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello everyone, this is 10 Today, a 10-minute set of exercises to do at home to help keep yourself active. Before we get to today's presenter, a couple of housekeeping points to note. The 10 Today project is funded by the Big Lottery and Sport England, and when you're doing the exercises, it's important that you don't push yourself too far, and by taking part, you agree to 10 Today's terms and conditions. You can read these terms and conditions at tnflink.uk forward slash 10t and the 10t is the digit 1 the digit 0 and the letter t and please remember that you agree to take part at your own risk today's exercises are brought to you by Liz and here she is hello everyone and welcome to 10 today these are short 10 minute physical activity routines which will get you moving and stretching. They're great for your health, including boosting your mood. And very importantly, they are designed to support your everyday movements, your functional fitness, your flexibility, balance and mobility. 
such as when you have to reach up, turn, bend down and so on. These simple routines will help you with that. Just take them at your own pace. There are plenty of options. If an exercise feels too much, then just take it easy and have a break. All the exercises can be done either standing up or sitting down. So just do whatever feels good for you today. When lifting your arms or knees, only go as far as is comfortable. If you have any problems with your knees or hips, take care not to twist them during the movements. It can also help to pull in your tummy when you're bending your back. And just breathe normally throughout these activities. We want you all to do these activities safely. You are responsible for monitoring how you're feeling throughout the sessions. If you feel any discomfort or pain, for example, if you feel unwell or dizzy or experience palpitations, then please stop and seek medical advice. If you're remaining seated, it would be ideal if you can use a hard chair, preferably one without arms, such as a dining chair that you can sit upright in with a straight back and with your feet flat on the floor. If you're standing, just keep your feet hip width apart, relax your shoulders and take a good strong stance. And you might want to have a sturdy chair nearby to hold on to sometimes for balance. So we're just going to start with a warm up. You're just going to quickly tap or pat different parts of your body. So briefly tap along each arm one at a time in different places. Your upper arm, your forearm and your wrist. Do the same on both arms. Then pat the top of both legs, just quickly tapping up and down your legs in various places towards your knees for a few seconds. You should be nicely warmed up now and ready to move. So we're going to start with supporting the sky. This one works the upper body, so just face forwards and keep your back nice and straight. If you're sitting, remember to keep both feet flat on the floor. Now raise both arms straight up in the air, pushing up towards the sky and with your palms facing upwards. Then bring both arms down together, turning your palms downwards and keep pushing them down towards the floor. And again, raise both arms straight up, extending them towards the ceiling, palms facing up and then coming down, with palms facing down and pushing towards the floor. Do this a few more times now. Try to get your arms as straight as you can. You can reach higher if you are able to, and you can really push down, but always make sure you feel comfortable. There are lots of benefits to this one. It's good for your arms and shoulders, also your back and chest, as well as your wrists. Next, it's knee to core. This movement's great for improving your balance. If you're standing, you can hold on to a sturdy chair for balance. So, in the usual starting position, with your feet hip width apart and shoulders relaxed, just face forwards with your arms down by your sides and keep your back nice and straight. Now lift your right leg, bending your knee and raising it towards your chest. Hold that position briefly and bring your foot down to the floor again. Now lift up your left leg, raise your knee towards your chest, hold briefly and bring it down again. Repeat this a few more times. It's a bit like marching on the spot, but slower and with both arms down by your sides. 
If you want to work a little harder, you can lift your legs higher, just as far as is comfortable, and you can lean slightly towards your knees to put a bit of a pull in your lower back. Just alternate your legs, lifting up and back down. This is good for your legs, hips and core muscles. Now it's time for Through the Mist. This one's like swimming the breaststroke. So stretch both your arms out directly in front of you at shoulder height and with your palms facing outwards a few inches apart. Then, keeping your feet facing forward, twist your upper body to the left. Now pull both arms back in line with your shoulders and bend your elbows, then push your arms out again, just as if you're doing a breaststroke or trying to part the mist. So again, facing to the left, arms straight out and palms facing out. Pull back your arms, bend your elbows, then start again. We'll do a few more on the left and then repeat the movement on your right side. Don't put too much stress on your knees. So both arms stretched out in front of you, feet facing forwards. Twist to the side, then pull those arms back. You can lean more into it if you like, and you can pull your arms further back against your shoulder blades. A couple more now. Great work. This is really good for the chest, shoulders, arms and core. The next one is called Charge Fists. This is a martial arts type of movement that works your chest and core, arms and shoulders. So whether you're standing or sitting, make two fists and bend both arms at the elbow as if you're getting ready for a fight, bringing your fist up towards your shoulders. Then just push your right arm forward, keeping it nice and straight at shoulder level. Pull it back towards your body and then punch forward with your left arm. To carry on with this, you're just punching forward with one arm at a time, alternating your arms each time. You can lean into it and put a bit of power and aggression into that punching arm if you like, or punch a little higher. Now it's time for high toes. So facing forwards with your feet a comfortable distance apart, just raise both heels off the ground, going up into the balls of your feet and raising both arms at the same time, bending them down at the elbow as you raise them up. Then bring your heels and arms back down again at the same time. And do this again, keeping it nice and slower. The slower the better. This is good for your balance and your core, and you should feel it pulling your calves. Just keep going slowly up and down into the balls of your feet, and a bit higher into your toes if you can. If you're seated, you can lean slightly forwards in your chair and feel it going through your legs. The next one is forest to sky. So lean forward slightly and if you're standing, bend your knees a little way. Now with a nice sweeping movement, lower your right arm down towards your left leg. Then sweep your arm slowly back up to the right as you straighten up, stretching your arm above your head. Then bring it back down to your side and swap to the other arm. So lean forwards, bend your knees, and this time lower your left arm down towards your right leg and sweep it back up again to the left. So keep going with this, alternating your arms, lowering one arm at a time down towards the opposite leg and stretching it back up high and then back down by your side. This is good for your back, shoulders, arms and core. 
Now it's connect with the earth. Starting from the usual position, with your feet hip width apart and arms down by your sides. Bend both wrists upwards so your fingers point forwards and your palms face down. Then, bending your knees at the same time, push your arms down towards the floor. Then straighten up and pull your arms back with the palms still facing down and elbows bent, tucking them in close to the sides of your body. Repeat this a few more times. If you're seated, press down to your feet and also focus on the arm movements, pushing down and pulling up. Keep going just a couple more times. Well done. Now it's time for weighing the grain. Raise both arms and stretch them out to each side, keeping them at shoulder level, palms facing down. Then tilt so that one arm goes up as the other comes down, a bit like an aeroplane. Then come back to the centre and tilt to the other side, just as if you're weighing the grain on each arm. Alternate from left to right for a few more times. This one's great for your arms, hips, legs and chest as well as your shoulders. To make it more challenging, try to make one arm go lower and the other go higher. Great. The next one is called the border and beyond. From the usual starting position, step your right foot forward with the knee slightly bent into a lunge position with your training leg naturally raised on its toes. Take care that your bent knee isn't further forward than your toes. Then stretch your arms out together in front of you with your palms facing forward in a pushing motion, as if you're blocking or pushing someone away. Keep your arms straight and at shoulder height and then step back, bringing your arms back at the same time. Then switch to the left leg, stepping forward into a lunge and pushing your arms out in front, nice and slowly. Keep going with this, alternating your legs between right and left. You can do a longer or deeper lunge if you're able to with nice high arms. These movements work your back, arms, shoulders, legs and core muscles. And the last exercise is kick across. If you're standing for this one, you can hold on to something sturdy like a chair or a kitchen work surface to help you balance. So with a straight back, raise your right leg a few inches off the floor keeping it as straight as you can and just kick that leg across the front of the other. Bring your foot back to the floor and switch to the left leg, just kicking across and alternating your legs. Keep going with this for a few more times. Only move within your capabilities and make smaller movements if you need to. If you're comfortable and want to work a bit harder, you can kick a bit higher. As well as helping your balance, this is great for your legs and buttocks. So that's it for the exercises. Well done! We're just going to finish with a quick shake to cool down. So raise both arms up above your head towards the ceiling and just briefly wave your hands and arms in the air. Then lift one leg slightly from the floor if you can. Shake it out in the air for a second or two. Raise the other leg and shake that one out too or you can just shake your upper body instead. So that's the end of the session. Great work, everyone. We hope you enjoyed it. Doing 10 today, just three times a week, can have positive benefits for your physical health and improve your well-being too. It's short, 
It's fun and you'll simply feel better. So do keep going. You can also watch videos of all the sessions at 10today.co.uk. TNS Soundings. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880111. Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV4 6AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us. Stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. ta